Mm. And so it's a little bit like the word, this gets overused, but I'll say it, it's a little bit like the matrix, the blue and the red pill. When I was in the lane, I didn't realize that I was in the lane. I didn't realize that I was in this kind of suffocating world. I just knew that I wasn't overly happy. Mm. As soon as I realized that there was choices that sat on the other side of breaking through fear, right? The fear of trying to get out there and do something myself to take control of my own income, to make a difference, to put myself out there on a podcast and get judged. As soon as I realized that I could break through that, I realized that the world was very different. And actually, it was a lot more fun. Right. But a lot of people never actually get that opportunity or they don't allow themselves to do that. You are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that message was delivered by Nick Bradley, host of the Scale Up Your Business Podcast, who gives you the mindset to switch lanes. And folks, before we dive into this episode with the real Nick Bradley, I just want to make sure you are all aware that Real Leaders has live interviews. That's right. Real Leaders has live interviews. And I want to see you at the next one. All you got to do is go online to realleaders.com. Click on the podcast page where you can RSVP for an upcoming event with a star-studded leadership cast, such as the author of Emotional Intelligence, Daniel Goleman, the co-founder of Honest Tea, Seth Goldman, and the CEO of Tarani, Melanie Dolbeko. If you want to attend one of these events, I'd love to see you there. Again, folks, realears.com slash podcast. That's it for me. Thanks for being a leader and give it up for the real Nick Bradley. Enjoy. Okay, great. Wonderful. Well, I'm just going to do this countdown real quick and we can just kind of dive into this. You know, I was actually listening to uh, one of your episodes and you get up at 5 a.m. every morning and drink water. Is that right? Oh, yeah. What's oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like militant, man. <laughs> Why is that? When did you start that? When did I start? I've been doing it for years. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm super disciplined. And one of my, one of my beliefs is um, discipline equals freedom. It's, it's a Jocko Willink statement. Of course. But I, I believe that, right? So, you know, I'm really structured. And I achieve quite a lot purely because I think of the way I think about productivity. So, we talk about that. I'm happy about that. Yeah, no, continue. So, maybe walk us through the average day, uh, the average Monday, let's say, for Nick Bradley. Okay, so what what I will say up front, right, is that I am, you know, during the week, I'm super disciplined and on the weekends, I tend to relax because I like to think that, you know, not everything has to be about going, you know, 10x, 100% all the time. So, a typical Monday, I will, the alarm goes off actually at 445 and and then I start effectively what is my, my routine, my morning routine at 5 a.m. So, the first thing I do is I go outside. It doesn't matter. It was snowing the last couple of days here in the UK. And, and I try and get in some form of exercise, depending on how I feel and my state. Sometimes that's just a walk. Quite often it's a run. So, it's normally about a five-mile run uh, or I might be lifting some weights or something like that. But I go outside and do that because I want to be out there and sort of have you know air going through my lungs. So, uh, I do that. I drink a full liter of water through that process as well because um, I like to hydrate. And, and when I'm out there, doing that routine, I have three things that I do. So, the first thing I do is I I have a very small gratitude ritual, which effectively just centers me. So, that's being grateful for the things that I have, my health, my family, all that sort of thing. Then I visualize what I'm working towards. And that's normally over the next three months, 12 months, and even even down to what I want the day to be like and the the week to be like. So, what are the outcomes, the results that I want to achieve that that are coming up? Then I do an exercise, which is a bit odd, which is around incantations. So, when I'm running, I'll have different statements, which are around programming my subconscious around where I'm moving towards. So, I always have a view of kind of myself growing towards the various things that I'm creating. Hmm. So, I do all that. I come back. That takes around about 45 minutes to an hour. And then when I come back, I do 10 minutes of meditation. I do that every, every weekday. Then I do some reading. So, I, I try and get through a couple of books a month. I'm an avid reader, but I'm not one of these people who has to read like, you know, a book a day because <laughs> you know, I think it's more important to, to read and take action of what you read versus just reading for the sake of reading. Uh, and after that, I have this weird thing, which is called a bulletproof coffee, 
which effectively is coffee with with ghee or butter and this thing called MCT oil. And the reason I have that is it focuses my mind for the next three or four hours and I can get a lot done. It's, it's really weird. It's like it creates this, this point of clarity hmm. so that anything you focus your time on, you get done. So I have that. And then I list down in my journal the five outcomes of what I want to achieve for the day. Now, my, my day is already planned because I plan it in advance. But I, I'm very, very clear that these are the five things that must get done today. And they will get done today before I go to sleep at night. No, no negotiation, you know, nothing like that. Um, and then after I've done that, um, my day starts effectively starts. So I'll stop there and pause because, you know, as I said, we could keep on going. <laughs> I feel like, you know, for most people, like your day is over when people are just getting started. You know, it's like you know, you're that type of person who's going to get that done early in the morning. Now, a couple things real quick. You mentioned subconscious uh, tapping into that a little bit, but I'm actually just really quick interested on this coffee that you're drinking. I've never heard of something like this. Is this like a nootropic? Is this something that you said creates clarity? What specifically is in that? Yeah, so uh, there's a guy called Dave Asprey, and um, he created this uh, concept called the Bulletproof Diet, and it's it's worth a read just in terms of. You know, because diets are subjective, right? And they're personal. But I've done a lot of running in my in my days. I've done lots of marathons and stuff. And I, as I'm 46 now, and I was suffering quite a bit from inflammation and arthritis and things like that, just from so much running. So I did some investigation into diets that can um, stop inflammation in your body. So one of those is is more of a keto based diet. Um, you don't have many grains and things like that. And so what I do is I do intermittent fasting. So I only eat really between twelve p.m. in the afternoon and eight p.m. in the evening. Hmm. And the only thing I have in the mornings is is this coffee. Now the coffee, as I said, it's full of fats. So it's black coffee, effectively with oil and fat in it. But what that does, and I don't know the the science behind it, certainly the neuroscience behind it, it effectively gives you enough um, of, of a sustenance, but at the same time isn't overloading your body with things that are going to make you sluggish. So a lot of a lot of heavy carbs. So if you get up and have like lots of toast in the morning or those sort of things, they they're supposed to give you energy, but actually for me it's the opposite. So if I have the bulletproof coffee. And then I kind of get into my tasks for the day. I, I'm laser focused. It's a bit like the movie Limitless, if you've ever seen that, mm. where he takes this pill and then everything around him seems super clear. That's right. the state that I'm in between, say, 8 a.m. in the morning and 12 p.m. before I have my first meal. So quite often, I'll have my full day completed in terms of any of the business activities I need to do uh, by 12 p.m. by lunchtime. Like a like a natural Vyvanse or like Adderall without the shakes or something like that. Yeah, it's hard to explain. It's definitely worth looking into because I think it's the combination of the intermittent fasting as well. So effectively, all I'm putting into my body is is water mm. and coffee and some fat. But the science behind that is that we in the Western society, in particular, we overeat. And our bodies then uh, don't operate in their optimal way because of that. Again, it's different for different people. So I don't sort of propose that this is for everybody. And and I've just found that I function more effectively by following that process. Um, and and the other thing is I'm all about energy management, right? Energy is the is the fuel there of productivity. And if I want to be productive and create all the things that I've created, I mean, I've got seven companies, right? Plus I've got the podcast, plus I've got all these other things. The only way that I could manage that is to be very intentional about how I manage my energy. Now, your body breaks down fat for energy instead of, let's say, like carbohydrates. Is that right? With ketosis. So I've heard ketosis is one of the most, now you're very disciplined. I heard ketosis is one of the most challenging things to stay up with. How long have you been on this diet and why do you find the ketogenic diet to be your diet of choice? I've, I've been on it for over decade, I think, in, in various decade. forms. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't label what I do fully ketogenic. So there's, okay. again, the watch out for people listening and watching this is that you can get a little bit too stuck in the process or the narrative of what something is. I'm a I'm effectively like um, an experimenter or a biohacker. And I, I experiment all the time with different things and how I feel about them. So that's that's even down to how how many hours I sleep. Mm. Uh, definitely, obviously, the food I put into my body. Where I learned this from is, is I um, I started running a long, long time ago, and I've done a lot of, as I said, marathons and ultra marathons, so super endurance events. And the only way that you can survive some of those long distance, like a hundred mile event and stuff like that, 
is if you are using fats for fuel. Because if you're just having sugar or carbohydrates into your body, that burns too quickly. So you have to find a more sustenance, sustenance way of doing it. So because I needed to train my body to burn fat for fuel to survive these 24-hour races, I just continued that learning into what I was doing in my normal life. So, but I, I say this again, I want to be really clear with people. For some people, it's a plant-based diet. For other people, it's just, you know, some sort of Mediterranean diet, whatever. The most important thing is to work out what works for you, try different things out, see what gives you the result, and then start to implement that into your life. And then it becomes a routine, a habit. So it seems like you've mastered a lot of habits, you know, for a lot of people, especially if you've been working out, let's say for four or five years, even consistently, if you take a day off, a couple days off, you know, it's a longer fall from the top, you're going to feel you're going to be more mad at yourself, right? You're going to feel like, oh, I feel like garbage today. And reality is, you know, it's just one or two days off. How do you consistently bounce back from, like you said, the weekends, um, you know, in, in times where you may not feel as accomplished as you could have been? I mean, these are great questions, by the way, Kevin, just to acknowledge you for that. <laughs> I always I always appreciate it when people are kind of really listening and present, you know, in these sort of, these sort of yeah, chats. Absolutely. So, I believe a lot in sort of 80-20, right? So, you know, you, you don't have to be 100% all the time to get the result. I'm very much about how do you get to the result as quickly as you can. That's across business, it's across life, it's across health, it's across all different things. So, so if you think about like the five plus two, you know, five days of the week and then two days of the weekend, it, it effectively falls into a Pareto's principle, an 80-20 perspective. Now, because I'm working to that cadence, uh, and it means also that I have time. If I want to go and eat some sugar on the weekend and have an ice cream or if I want to have a beer or whatever else, you know, it's not, it doesn't suddenly wreck my perfection, right? <laughs> Which doesn't exist anyway. So I'm just disciplined about how I manage that so it's sustainable for me. Now, what a lot of people do, again, no judgment here, is that they they go off the rails. So they might say they're having a diet or they're doing a no drinking January or something like that and they have one drink and then they think, ah, oh, that's it. Uh, you know, I've lost it now. I'm going to give it all up. And now I'm just going to continue drinking because I've wrecked it. Right. And it's just, it's just an interesting way of thinking, but it's also a really silly way of thinking. <laughs> it's just like we had one drink, just get back to it. Right. You know, it's, it's like someone, I have one cookie. Now I have to have the whole bag of cookies. Well, no, you don't just have one cookie and get back on it. But I've trained myself, I think, to understand not to be emotionally connected to decisions. Right, we talk about mindset as we go through this conversation. So I'm not emotionally uh, enrolled in any of this. It's practical. It makes sense. I can I can remove the emotion from the situation and then move on to something which is going to serve me. And I think that's so important, you know. And it's something that you've been able to figure out kind of what works for you, you know, maybe in your lifestyle when it comes to making decisions. And I got to tell you, Nick, you know, yesterday, you know, slept through the alarm yesterday you know, Monday. And I was so mad at myself all day, but it came out in all of my conversations. Why aren't yeah. they doing this? Why aren't they doing this? You know, what's going on here? And well, you know, I, I got, uh, it came out in all these conversations. Why aren't they doing this? Why isn't this done? Now, I don't want to help you. I've told you this before already. Here's the format it needs to be in because I didn't get that workout in this morning. I'm honest to God. So. With so many decisions that affect so many lives, payroll, employee, trajectory, growth, how important is it for someone to find that clarity? I, listen, the, the, a lot of things in life, and I'll kind of again just give you my opinion on this because it is again a subjective thing. You've got to, you've really got to find out what works for you in all areas of your life and, and understand that you've got to have a bit of self-care around these things too. I, the decisions I make are all based on a very, very clear view of what I want the next 20 years of my life to be like, right? So I, I work to what is a 20-year vision. Now, a lot of people go, what the hell is that guy on? Because you know, a lot of people can't even plan their life for the next day versus what they can for 20 years. But to be crisp in terms of what I'm saying here, I'm not expecting that everything's going to work to a methodical plan to achieve what I want those outcomes to be in 20 years. Right, I have. I absolutely know that the pathway is going to be absolutely like nothing I could ever predict. Mm. But I know the destination, 
I know what impact I want to make on the world. I know how I want to show up for my kids, how I want to be a role model for them. Uh, I know how much wealth I want to create. I know what I want to be known for. Uh, I know the areas certainly that I need to grow in right now, you know, the next the next part of what I'm doing. Um, so, because I have that and I know why it matters to me, sometimes called purpose, then having the discipline to take the required action, to your point around to be clear, is actually the easy part. It's, it's, it's easy to understand. I just need to execute it. But where people fall down is they're not connected enough to their purpose. In other words, they don't really understand it or it's not important enough. So, therefore, they make decisions which sabotage that and then they go around in this kind of ridiculous spiral of, uh, you know, I'm miserable, I'm, I'm unhappy, I don't know what's going on. It's just because you haven't put the time in or you've got the people around you to help you understand exactly what you're trying to achieve. Do you have a specific process, Nick, you like to go through to find your purpose or to help other entrepreneurs find their purpose? Yeah, I do. It's, I mean, it's actually, there's, there's two parts to the question. So there's what I've done and what I continue to do. And then there's what I do when I go in to work with someone. It's like I can work with a business that's generating seven figures in revenue and they want to get to eight and they want to get to eight very quickly. So, you know, that's what we effectively help them do. Uh, now, interestingly, purpose sits above both of the questions. So, if I'm working with an entrepreneur who doesn't know what they're trying to achieve, the first thing I start with is getting them connected with why they started their business in the first place. Mm. Now, there may be different reasons in terms of what they're trying to do next, but connecting at least with that starting point and where they want to go will then start to get their brain firing in a different way, which will start to provide answers in terms of what they need to do next. So, so purpose is very, very powerful aligned with vision at that first stage of business. But back to your original question, I have invested, oh my, God, my wife's not listening, hopefully not. I've invested significant sums of, of money and time into getting into rooms with people who can teach me different things. So, I've had multiple mentors. I've got two mentors and a coach right now. I've been to so many different events, uh, masterminds, whatever else. And I've put myself into rooms where I'm absolutely the smallest person in that room, you know, and, and then I know I'm in the right place. Mm. Right. Feels absolutely terrible. Sure. Imposter syndrome, <laughs> all that. Right. But when you leave those environments, you've leveled up. Right. So, so, so that's my, my trick. If you want to call it a trick, I get in, I get intention and clear about what I'm trying to be, who I want to become. And then I find somewhere a person or an environment that's going to help me achieve that. Nick, uh, that's an interesting point because we, we talk a lot about being uncomfortable. I think the last podcast we had was have uncomfortable conversations. It's a topic that gets brought up a lot on this show. Now for young entrepreneurs that I'm sure listen, a lot of them listen to your show, you know, what are some of the constraints that they run in? Maybe some of the short-term thinking where they're not thinking down the line about having a family, balancing careers. What are some of the things you see from your audience that you can tell us on the show about what they struggle with most during their growth process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a lot of the people that come into my world are, you know, they're, they're going from the transition of starting a business and then moving into the scale up phase. And there, there are different phases of business growth on that kind of entrepreneurial journey. The startup phase is usually a lot of fun right? Because, you know, you kind of think you're solving a massive problem for the world. There's lots of, again, energy. It's chaotic, but it kind of can be chaotic at that stage because you don't really have much around you other than this, this huge appetite to do something extraordinary. And, and it's great, right? But what, what normally happens is as you start to get traction, so you might sell a few of your first products or services, you might start to um, get some interest you know, from investors, whatever, whatever that looks like. All of a sudden, you have to add two things to the, uh, the mix, to the, the dimension, and that is you have to firstly bring people in, right? You have to build a team and therefore you have to lead for the first time. It's a very different type of leadership, leading yourself versus leading a team, right? We talk about that. And then you've got to start to operate with systems and process, which again, if you like a chaotic, uh, innovative, creative environment is almost the antithesis of that. Hmm. Okay. So, what I find is a lot of the younger entrepreneurs struggle with the transition 
and they get confused, they get lost, and therefore they lose self-confidence, they lose belief in themselves. And then ultimately, and this happens all the time, it's probably the number one thing that I confront, they become the bottleneck. So to be clear on that, they might bring me in and say, oh, listen, our marketing's broken. We, we can't acquire any customers. We're, we're not getting any leads. Mm. And I'll go, okay, that's cool, right? So what's the problem? Oh, uh, my marketing director's terrible. Okay, right. Okay, let's let's let. Why don't we just? Why don't we get objective around that? Mm-hmm. Let's let's really understand if that's the case. And more often than not, it's not that the people are bad people. It's that the the leader has either instructed the wrong instructions, hasn't been clear. Therefore, people are kind of doing the best they can, but they don't they don't know exactly what they should be doing. So you're not really qualifying in or out whether that whether it's someone else is the problem until you validated the clarity back to your original question of that leader. And so, so I get involved there. And once you, once you spark that understanding again, that focus again, quite often all of the mistakes in the business start to correct. And then you can get into the real problems because you've fixed that bottleneck. Mm. So are you suggesting like the entrepreneur, when they start to add more employees, when you say they become the bottleneck, is it because they're doing too much? Is it because they were doing everything beforehand and have to, you know, execute all the decisions? They have to manage all the assets that are going on because they're comfortable with that and they don't want anyone else using it. What do you mean exactly by that bottleneck? I want you to Okay, so I'll be really clear. Yeah. People who start businesses are not necessarily the best at scaling them. Mm. Right? And that's because it takes a very different skill set and mindset. And what that really means is that the, they don't realize that for them to be able to do that, their identity needs to shift, hmm. both from a mindset perspective and a skill set perspective. They need to understand what great leadership is at a practical level, right? We can get into those those different things if you'd like. But they also understand that, that they have to have more certainty and belief in themselves. So think- that's what I mean. It's really about identity. It's about the dimension of how that leader evolves to be able to deal with what's required to take that business to the next stage. I love that. Let's stay here. So is it more getting over your ego or is it more just self-confidence, self-confidence. and belief and perseverance? It can be all of those things. And this, this is why it's never one thing. So I'm working with a couple of businesses right now where it's a self-awareness issue. You know, it's not understanding that the decisions that the, the the co-founders are making are having a wider impact. Because if it was just them in a in a garage when they started the business, they they would know they know each other well, for example. But all of a sudden, there's a team of 100 people, right? So they're not aware of that impact that they're making. They don't realize that everything they think, say, do, all that sort of stuff is then patterned, if you like, across everyone else. It gives permission for everyone else to do those things. So that's one. To come back to ego, because that's a that's a big one. Um, quite often, the idea that I'm a you know I need to control everything. No one is better than me, so therefore I'm going to employ people who are inferior to me to make me feel better about myself. See that all the time. You know that whole saying about how do you how do you really scale and build a, build a, an amazing, stunning business? Well, you hire people that are better than you in lots of areas all the time. And again, back to awareness. A lot of these leaders aren't aware. They surround themselves with these people who are just not very capable, right? And you feel sorry for those people. But the leader's going, oh, well, you know, um, it's not my fault. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a complex question because it's all of those things and then it's some of those things. It just depends on the circumstance. So when you come in, what are some of the questions you like to ask these leaders to help them develop this mindset that's been, you know, developing for their entire lives. Yeah. So I I do, there's a couple of different formulas right to this. And again, nothing I like to do is templated. I don't believe in that. So this is funny because people, people ask me quite a bit, Oh, you know, do you have this kind of playbook? And I say, well, I don't really have a playbook as such. I have a number of tools. Uh, Sometimes it's coaching. Sometimes it's mentoring. Sometimes it's consulting. Sometimes it's advisory. All of those are just effectively tools. They're not titles, right? That's how I think about it. One thing I like to do is I like to do the the why question. So you just keep asking why until someone wants to punch you in the face, right? right. Literally, like I've asked that, but but after about five or six whys, you know, so why why do you that? Why does that matter? You know, why is that happening? You get to the real answer. And sometimes that in itself becomes a light bulb moment, right? You know, you know, know what I mean? So I like, I like to do that. I definitely like to ask about where the business is going to be in the next five years, you know, next three to five years. And I often ask the question, I want you to go forward three years 
And I want you now to look backwards, okay, and tell me what you see. Mm. And, and the, the premise behind that is a goal is not something you move towards. It's something you come from. So you have to understand what it feels like to be where you want the, the let's say, the business to be first to then be able to see the path of how you got there. So it's a little bit of NLP, neurolinguistic programming in this. But there, there's certain things that they, they just start to trigger different responses and they start to activate different patterns of people's thinking. And quite often you start to see the clarity. You start to see the light bulb open up in people's faces and their eyes once you start to get um, get those questions in front of them. When you're looking at these organizations, how much weight do you, know, you, do you put on leadership in the organization? Weight in terms of what specifically? When you are going to acquire or invest in an organization. Okay. Yeah. Okay. From from that perspective, again, I, there are a number of things that are important when you're making that sort of decision. But I'm going to say it's the most important thing, but sort of hedge what the percentage is. Because again, I think, you know, I would never invest in a business that has an amazing value proposition. You know, it's, it's got a, this really unique, remarkable product that solves a very clear problem. If I thought that there was issues with the leader, mm. however, if I saw a fantastic leader who I just thought was just incredibly smart, astute, focus-driven, had this burning desire to make change, but the value proposition wasn't great. Now, now not to be clear, it still has to be good. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, I'm not going to invest in a terrible idea. But if it's not great, but I can see that this person's going to do whatever it takes, they're coachable, they're going to listen, I'm much more likely to put some money behind that and certainly my time behind that. Got it. So, so that's what I mean. It's, it is the fundamental thing because, you know, you just don't want to be around people who, who aren't going to have those sort of intangibles and those standards. So this idea of scale idea, but economies of scale, right? We add an additional you know, unit of labor, it lowers our costs. We're going to get to a point where we can grow and grow and grow and grow in capacity. How hard, like where are some of the constraints that people run into when they're trying to think of scale? You mentioned entrepreneurs they don't know how to scale, right? You know, it takes someone like you to come in. You got to find people that are better than them. You got to find, you know, more labor and see, you know, uh, if you can articulate this vision across the industry, you know, across the, the, the company as well as out externally as well. So what are some of the constraints that people run into? Yeah, I mean, mindset, you know, we've talked about this in different ways um, today. My, mindset is the biggest constraint by far. So it's <clears throat> scarcity thinking versus expansive thinking. Um, negative thinking versus positive, right? So that's that's the first constraint <clears throat> that happens, and then that you know that's like a a poison that then manifests everything else. So you've got that piece. the The reason that's the number one is because again, people then don't think in a resourcefulness nature. They don't think about what they can do, and so therefore, for example, if a business hasn't got money, and someone's got a scarcity mindset that's leading that business, mm. their psychology is, well, I'm never going to get any money. So therefore, I, I can't do anything, and then they get into a paralysis state or an overwhelmed stress state. Mm. Whereas someone who has a growth mindset or a positive mindset will be thinking, not that I can't, it will be thinking, how can I do it? Mm. Right, and 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 so therefore, your question is an interesting one because the constraints often form by the fact of someone doesn't realize that that everything is actually possible if they are resourceful enough to go after it. Because, you know, think about what, what stops scale. Well, well, firstly, you know, not having the right people, trying to do it all yourself. So there's a lot of things that can constrain that. That can be the, the, the psychology that I can't work with others because I have to be the best, right? There's all that. Or I, I need to control everything. So that's going to constrain you. Then it's uh, the discipline around wanting to create structure. So again, the point I wanted to make before is it's not that all people who start businesses can't scale them. It's just it takes a different skill set and mindset. But there are people who can absolutely do that. There are people who can't. So the best example of those who can't is the whole Google piece where Sergey and Larry brought in their CEO, I forget his name, because they needed someone who could run the business and take their creative spark, but they couldn't do it. Mm. So that's the piece. So, so to sort of finish the point on it, 
you know, someone who's super creative won't like structure. So they, the best solution is to bring someone in who can provide structure. Um, investment we've talked about, uh, vision we've talked about. They're the main areas. They're the main areas, but they all interlink back to, again, that leadership mindset, if we want to bring it back to that, of being more expansive. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, being a leader changes throughout the company's life cycle. Um, when do you know as a, as a leader that, you know, maybe I need to give it up, you know, like Google, right? Like what's a signal that a leader can listen to that says, you know what, I think someone else should probably take the reins. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most challenging questions for someone to bring on, particularly at the stage we're talking about that startup to scale up. The first thing I advise on this is you have to be able to take external support. I'm not saying that's me. It, it could be anything, any, any type of help, because the quickest way to get from, any, from A to B is to learn from others and ideally learn from others' mistakes and then not make those mistakes is the best way to do it. So... If I'm going into a business, the first thing I often say, so some, someone will bring me in and they'll say, oh, I want to scale up. Okay, great. Get that. Okay. My first question is, why do you want to do it? Right. And they'll go, because I want to, you know, build an empire or I want to, you know, make millions or I want to change the world. Right. There'll, there'll be some sort of, you know, pretty, pretty decent reason behind that first question. And then what I'll often say is, are you really sure that this is what you want to do? And that normally stops someone. I mean, of course it is. That's why we're having this conversation. You know, what are you, what are you trying to say here? And then I, I hit them by saying that you're about to go through the hardest part of the journey, right? And you can still create an amazing lifestyle business and probably make high six figures a year and still have a nice house and a, and a Porsche and kids in private school if you want, right? And, and just have a business which has a few employees and it's very manageable. So scale up means that you're about to change the dimension of everything you're doing. You're probably going to be away from your family for a while. You're probably going to have to make sacrifices, be more disciplined. Your whole, the whole persona of who you are is going to have to evolve, mm. right? Are you up for that? Right. And what's interesting about the question, I do this, right? I literally do this, is some people at that point go, thank you, no. Right. That's not what I want to do. I didn't think it was that. Right. I go, great. Awesome. <laughs> That's perfect. We've got that out of the way now. Other people go, you know, you see them light up and they go, that, that's exactly what I want to do, mm. right? And so that's, it's a qualification step for me a little bit, but it's also a little bit about making sure that they're going to invest the right, you know, energy and time into what they're trying to achieve. So hopefully that answers the question. It's, uh, I've gone a bit deeper maybe than what you're initially answering, Kevin. No, it makes a lot of sense. No, thanks for sharing that because uh, what we found and what we're beginning to start as well, just being transparent with you right now, actually not that many people know about this. Uh, we started this peer network of in impact CEOs. I listened to your podcast about finding where you want to play impact CEOs, right? But what we found through these episodes, through these conversations, it's a lonely job. It's a lonely job and it's a unique job. You know, not that many people can relate to them other than people in their space. So we're starting these peer-to-peer -peer groups to hopefully, you know, cultivate that and create these long, you know, lasting relationships to help them through that growth. So when you when you say, when you ask these questions, why do you want to change, you know, what do you want to do? Simple say, I want to change the world. I'm going to make a lot of money. You know, what are maybe some of the misconceptions that people have when they get to a level of success? Yeah, so I can I can ask this one probably a little bit more personally, right? Yeah, so um, I won't give you the full, long, convoluted story, <laughs> but I but I think it's good for context for people to kind of hear this. So I made a lot of money early on, right? And you know, Porsches, million buck houses, all that sort of stuff, right? And I did that because I was focused fundamentally on achievements. right? My own personal achievement, which was probably expressed in material possessions and status. So I had, you know, I was a board director of a, of a large corporate. So the equivalent of like a fortune 500 before I was 30, I was the CEO of a private equity backed businesses before I was 40. Um, you know, really, really good remuneration in those fields. But, but what was happening to me is I was getting, um, I was dying inside, 
right? And, and, you know, it's not a woe is me story because, you know, hey, I wasn't really struggling financially, so everything's good, right? But that's the, the lesson I want to kind of give people here is that's not always the case. And so what I needed to do was find more balance. And I put that in inverted commas because I don't think we're ever really truly fully in balance, but I had to find more balance between achievement and fulfillment. Mm. And I needed to, to go out there and start to recognize that I needed to make a wider impact, which was more externally focused than it was intrinsically focused. Hmm. And, and and it's, it's a really good debate around or conversation around leadership here because the point I want to make is this, is I, I had to have a pretty traumatic event, a sort of health event where I cracked all the teeth in the right side of my jaw one evening hmm. due to stress to awaken me up to the realization that I needed to basically have a life which was both, both of those two concepts, both achievement and fulfillment. And the success I've had commercially since I made that transition is actually greater than what it was when I was focused on just the money. Hmm. Incredible. You know, and we hear it all the time. Why is that? Why is, why does it take so many people to run into that situation where you're breaking, you know, teeth in your jaw to have that real? <laughs> it was like being punched in the face. I mean, I, I, I think I have the answer, right? I think I have the answer because I've reflected on it for so long now is if we talk about the concept of fear a little bit here, mm. most people, and again, this is my my opinion, they they live in this very narrow corridor, and the the, the situation they're in is not overly painful, but it's not overly great, right? So they're in this kind of corridor of mediocrity, and the sad part of this is people do this for their whole careers. Mm right, till they're 60. And then they, they might sit back and go, is that it, right? Mm. Is, is that it? What happened to me, and that, that whole teeth incident is an absolute gift, is I knew that my focus just on making money and all that sort of stuff was not really what I truly needed to do, right? And I was making money also under the constraints mainly of working in the world of corporate and private equity. So I had this huge desire to be free, and I kept getting more things thrown on me that were, that were making other people decide what I wanted, right? So, so for me, I had to change that. And, and this is the gift, right? The gift is I, I broke my teeth, which was the sign that I was getting physically sick because of the stress of not following what I really wanted to do, like what was going to make me happy. And so when I changed everything after that incident, which then led to the podcast that I do, led to the businesses that I've got and everything I'm doing now, I broke the chain Mm. of that constraint, of that path for mediocrity. Mm. And so it's a little bit like, the this gets overused, but I'll say it, it's a little bit like the matrix, the blue and the red pill. When I was in the lane, I didn't realize that I was in the lane. I didn't realize that I was in this kind of suffocating world. I just knew that I wasn't overly happy. Mm. As soon as I realized that there was choices that sat on the other side of breaking through fear, right? The fear of trying to get out there and do something myself to take control of my own income, to make a difference, to put myself out there on a podcast and get judged. As soon as I realized that I could break through that, I realized that the world was very different. And actually it was a lot more fun. Right. But a lot of people never actually get that opportunity or they don't allow themselves to do that. So what's your philosophy on success then? You know, I, I've heard, you know, happiness. I've heard uh, success through your fulfillment. I've heard balance. What is success to you? How would you define it? So I, I spent a lot of time on that question. And for me, it's the, it's the combination of personal growth. And, and I'm a, you know, we talked a little bit about my routines and habits beforehand. It's, it's, it's constantly learning and growing so that I'm constantly evolving and I suppose challenging myself of what, I, what I'm capable of, right? So that's one part of it. And the second part of it is making a bigger difference on the world, right? Because I, you know, back to that sort of Zig Ziglar quote, if you help people, help enough people get what they want in life, you'll have everything you want and need in life. Mm. I changed my belief system around that quote when I heard it, because I'd never, re it, that was one of the things that just smacked me in the face as well. I was like, what, hold on, you know, actually, if I help other people, then I'm going to get what I want. So it doesn't have to be about me all the time. Mm. Wow. Right. Literally, I changed everything, a whole set of beliefs of hearing that quote. Mm. So they're the two things for me. So if I can grow and I can develop and I can help other people achieve the same, I'm going to have success in my life in all sorts of different ways.
So do you find that through the podcast? And maybe if you had to choose one, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, being in and helping and growing and scaling organizations or a podcast, which one brings you more of that satisfaction? Well, they're all part of the same chain. Right. Okay. So they're all part all of the same chain. And, and this is, you know, again, I'm not hedging this. I, I started, okay, so the, the, the reality of the story is this. I made a decision to quit the private equity side of what I was doing once I had this incident with my teeth and I kind of had this epiphany, if you want to call it that. I, I didn't quit the job straight away, right? I, I thought, well, I've got liabilities, like, you know, all the stuff that I bought that I had to pay for and all these sort of crazy things. Like, you know, I was living this kind of luxurious life off the back of, you know, big salaries. So, so this is what I did. I'll be really transparent with you. I, I started the podcast. I did that for two reasons. I did it because I needed to get my story out of my head. So if you listen to the first 25 episodes, it's me talking to a mic like this for like 40 minutes with no notes, right? <laughs> no script. And it's me telling the story of everything I went through in these days of private equity deals. And that's really connected with people. And we can talk about the podcast in a bit more detail if you'd like. But I started to get a heap of people loving the podcast purely because I was just being real. And so I did it for that reason. And then I thought, because I still had my job, I thought, can I turn this into a business? Mm. And I got some mentoring around that. Right? I actually got a mentor who had done that. Mm. And he's like, you've got a bit of a, a gift here, Nick, you know, you, you can do this. Right. And I'm like, well, what does, what does that look like? And, and the seven companies I have now, the majority of them come off the back of the podcast. Mm. So I've created another set of seven figure businesses off the podcast alone. Mm. So, so which is better. Well, they're, they're kind of the same. <laughs> I couldn't have done one without the other. I think considering where I was when I made that decision. Is, is the answer right it's all working toward that purpose it's all fitting together like like puzzle pieces uh yeah now when you think of scaling digitally it confuses a lot of people it's really not taught in a lot of textbooks you kind of have to take a lot of courses to kind of understand it. you just have to work it out you know being in digital marketing you're learning something new every single day what's worked for you yeah, um, it's funny, like my background was marketing, right? So that's what I was um, in my my sort of, let's call it corporate career. And it was funny when people sort of say digital marketing, because I kind of just say it's marketing, marketing. you're just using different tools, right? Um, my, my, what's worked for me is, is 100% focused on mastering one platform. Hmm. Now, this is not popular opinion, because a lot of people out there would say, oh, you've got to be everywhere, you've got to be ubiquitous, you've got to be on everything. I just decided that I was going to get really, really good at podcasting, mm. right? I, that, that's that's my platform. Since then, I've done other things, right? I've got YouTube channels and all this sort of crazy stuff, but that's partly just because I've built a team around it now and they, they just do it. But if you came back to the one thing, the one thing was the podcast. And the thing that made it work or has made it work is I created a very clear, let's call it avatar or archetype of who I was trying to help mm. and, and, and help me and I am helping. And I was very clear in terms of the problem and how that would, would help. And every time I record an episode or do an interview, in my head is that one person. So I'm always saying, is it going to help and serve that one person? And I've never deviated from that in every episode. And what's happened is because it's got that level of focus, it's scaled through you know, to your point, digital marketing technology, because you know, the ability to then distribute that content and 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 all of that sort of stuff that I'm doing there can be then done through that technology. But it's really just doubling down on one platform. Now, your revenue model, uh, are you selling digital products? Are you selling uh, actual tangible products? Are you, is it revenue based? Yeah, I've got 17 um, streams of income off the podcast. 17 streams of income off the podcast. And are they all around? They're all, they're all different then. They're, are they... Like you said, like some I, are evergreen, um, okay. some are using some some words that people may connect with when they're listening to this. I I don't actually believe in all that stuff. I find it a bit dehumanizer stuff. Um, so this is this is interesting. So so a lot of my background was obviously doing business strategy, but sometimes when you work on your own stuff, you don't find it that easy, right? <laughs> Um, so I'd like to say what I'm going to explain to you kind of, it's probably going to sound like it's all neatly packaged, but it wasn't, right? It was a bit chaotic. Um, I, the first thing that happens 
was after I'd done about sort of 30 or 40 episodes. So I'm now about 140 in. So mm. I, I started to get, I first started getting people wanted to advertise and I, and I made a decision that I wasn't going to do that. Right. Um, I may change that because I've got some other people coming in now that reflect more the values of what I'm doing. But in the beginning, I wasn't keen to do that. So then I started getting people coming in and saying, can you mentor me? You know, I want to know how to buy businesses using other people's money. I want to scale from seven to eight figures. I want to know how do you build a personal brands. You know, a lot of people were interested in the podcast and how do you do podcasting? And so I started to do mentoring, you know, started to do that. And I was, it was quite interesting just, just sort of moving into that world from the sort of, let's call it corporate world, even though it's slightly different. Started doing that. And then I got mentored by a guy called Roland Fraser. And he said something really powerful. He said, you've got to think about turning your defense into offense. I thought, that's interesting. Hmm. And he said, you know, for example, if people are starting to ask you for other services, start to build other businesses. And then anything that's a cost to you, then sell it as a line of revenue or a, or a product or service. Hmm. So I thought, well, everyone's asking me about podcasting. So why don't I start a podcasting agency? Sure. Everyone's asking me about social media. Why don't I start a social media agency? What am I spending all my money on? Well, I'm spending money now on promoting the podcast. So why don't I just turn that into a revenue stream? So I did that, right? And that's now doing uh, just short of 500,000 pounds a year. Mm. Okay, so I got that. Incredible. Then, then we've got a number of products, online courses, masterminds, all the stuff that you would put under the education piece. We've got a membership, which actually is launching properly next week, relaunched. Um, when we work with some of our more, let's call it experienced premium clients, we often get the opportunity for equity. Um, so we still have consultancy fees, retainers, all the stuff that you would see in a traditional consultancy, but then we have equity or we get success fees if we help people raise money. So if you add all add all the little bits up, it ends up being they're all associated. They do sit under the one umbrella, and that one umbrella is my personal brand. It happens to be under scale up your business, but it's it's from what's happened from that. And I'll, and I'll give you one last piece because I think this is just an interesting thing for, for people right now because yeah. it's relevant. Two weeks ago, I went into Clubhouse, and I've built a following now of just around nine thousand people. Uh, we had 665 leads coming over the weekend from me standing up on stage, just helping people with their business problems. Wow. So, so much so that I've had to employ a whole bloody team underneath that now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I, I, I say that, you know, not to kind of say, well, isn't that great? But I'm just saying the power of, of putting yourself out there and then thinking commercially about it as much as being altruistic about it, because I generally still want to help people, but it's an interesting dynamic of what can happen once you start to do that. Yeah, it's it's very helpful. No, I appreciate you really, you know, breaking that down for us today, Nick. It's it's you know extremely helpful. And you know, Clubhouse is one of those apps that's on the rise now. I, you know, I, I got on it. My friend was telling me about it months ago. I went on. I was like, yo, this is kind of cool. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of just deleted the app and then I downloaded it back. And sure enough, sure. you know, three hundred more friends are already on. It's growing really fast. The next question I have for you, Nick, is, you know, when it comes to the digital landscape, you know, what are some trends you're seeing right now from an investor's perspective that really excites you? Yeah, so I think what I found particularly, you know, as we as we talk about the last 12 months, right, and, you know, as, uh, I'm going to call it a systemic change in how we think about things from certainly from the world of work, right? So, I'll talk about it from that. So, we've proven, in you know, by being locked in homes <laughs> that we can still do business using technology, Zoom, for example, right? We, we can make valuable connections without physical presence. Um, do people need to actually go back to a place of work in the same way that they did beforehand? I don't think they do. Mm. You know, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you know, uh, corporate headquarters and, and commercial um, property is going to die, but it's not going to be the same, right? So, so from an investment standpoint, you've got to look at those behavior change, behavior changes that have now been underpinned by technology. So, so that that's the first piece. Um, the way that we we think about retail is going to change, you know. And I think there will be different business models around retail. We're seeing that already. The power of community from a marketing standpoint, driven by social media, is also going to be interesting. So, again, just to reference Clubhouse, one of the monetization models that they're talking about is that if you have a big enough audience, 
then the audience will be able to tip you a little bit like Facebook stars and then their revenue will come from that instead of advertising. So I think the idea that you should have some level of influence, you know, if you have a business, having some sort of level of influence like a personal brand around it is going to be a disproportionate advantage Mm. to the businesses that don't. And again, that's all enabled by having these different media platforms, which are again enabled by technology. Interesting. So for your businesses that are not personal brands, what are your recommendations to them? I had an interesting conversation about this the other day, like the difference between a business brand and a personal brand, what connects more, how to grow it online. What's your advice to those organizations that don't necessarily have, you know, an iconic figure? I I honestly, and I'm quite polarizing with this and people sort of throw tomatoes at my head. I think you have to have one. Okay. Okay. And, and, and the reason I say that is if I said to you today, and you might, you might know the answer to this, right? Who's the CEO of the Volkswagen group? Yeah, I don't know. No okay. So if I said to you, who's the CEO of Tesla? Yeah. Elon Musk for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, an, an obvious thing, right? But there's a disproportionate um, rapport and relationship with, with personal brands or figureheads because you can know, like, and trust them, whether you like them or not, they give you something that has that that human part to it. Mm. So I don't care if you're a car wash in Texas, you know, you're a window fitting business in, you know, the north of England, you still have to have a way of connecting with your customers. Mm. Now, the the only thing I would say is this, I buy businesses all the time which haven't got this capability. And I introduce marketing or more progressive social marketing. I don't always put a personal brand around it, but sometimes I'll buy groups of businesses and put them together to then sell them back to private equity. So I do that as a, as a wealth creation tool. But the point being is that the superpower of all of those different things is marketing and it's about branding. And I just think that personal branding is an opportunity. You don't want to be the person who's left behind, right? You don't want to be that person because if the world is shifting to this space and you haven't jumped onto it, you know, and you're competing with someone who has got that likability and that 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 sort of machine working for them, it's going to be very, very hard for you to, to win business and be sustainable. Do you think there's a downside to that, though? Let's let's say, you know, Elon Musk goes on Joe Rogan, smokes weed, the, the stock tanks, obviously goes back up. But, you know, the brand reputation might be one of, oh, I don't know. I don't know about this guy who's making all the decisions here, who's coming on a show and thinks, thinks that's appropriate. Like, do you, do you think that's going to change with more personal brands being out there? Yeah, I think, you know, again, you, you made the point the stock went back up, didn't it? So, you know, and, and, and probably the more classic example is Apple, right? You know, you've got Tim Cook, who isn't, you know, Steve Jobs. But, and the business you could argue is more valuable, you know, now that Tim Cook's put structure into it and all those things. But that's partly because the business was ignited through a personal brand. So the way I like to think of this is it's actually called escape velocity. So if you if you have a rocket that's going to break through the, the Earth's atmosphere, it has the, the point before it breaks through the Earth's atmosphere is escape velocity, right? And then once it gets into the atmosphere, you don't need hardly any of the power for the thing to operate. So a lot of a lot of brands need that impetus to stand out and be remarkable in the beginning. And once they have that level of gravitas, then then you know you can make some different decisions around it. Mm. Right. So so that's the point. What you what you don't want to be is a brand that's competing with all these other brands and you're not remarkable. And there's a great book by Seth Godin called Purple Cow. I don't know if you've read it, Kevin. Have not. No. So very, very briefly. I will. He says you know, if you're driving in your car and you're driving past all these fields and you see fields full of brown cows, you know, eating grass and all that stuff, you don't stop your car, right? It's like, it's a brown cow. And then all of a sudden you see a purple cow in the field and you stop and go, oh my God, what is that? Right? It's remarkable. My view, however you decide to get there, you need to have that within a business these days because there's so many businesses, particularly online businesses, you need to stand out. And one of the ways of doing that is having a personal brand. There are other ways, but that's the quickest way that I've found certainly in my businesses. Another question, Nick, and that's a, that's a really good point. It's that purple cow sticks out just as much as an Australian living in the UK. Yeah. Um, Well, my accent, I've been here 21 years and I'm not going to lose the the accent sticking with me (laughs) at the moment. So Nick, one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, the more we grow online, the one thing I don't think we ever can do is automate relationships. Like, you know, just being personal is very important. As we grow and scale, I want to make sure it's a personal connection. How do you do that 
online. So personal connection doesn't necessarily mean physical. Mm. So, and again, I can just talk about the story that I've gone through these last 12 months. Actually, again, I, not that I want to overplay Clubhouse. I've just spent more time on it recently. I love it. I'm interested. I've, um, I've signed two partnership agreements in the last 12 months from in big partnership agreements, so stakes in companies. Um, one of them is in Vancouver. Um, and I've not physically met the three people who own that company. And I can't right, right now because we can't get on planes but I've still done a very sizable deal. Now, if you break that down, that deal would not happen without a personal relationship. Mm. So I've still invested a hell of a lot of time on these sort of calls, emails, you know, whatever whatever different things, which has built that rapport, that trust. Mm. Now, I fully agree that it's easier to do that if I could go and have a beer or have a meal or something like that, jump on a plane. And two years ago, I would have absolutely been on a plane, but I just haven't got that constraint. Mm. It hasn't stopped the result. Okay. And the same thing, you know, back to the clubhouse point, I've been on stage with these, I was on stage with Grant Cardone last night, um, JT Fox, a few other big names like that, John Lee Dumas. um, I've had him on the podcast as well. You know, we connected in clubhouse. We hadn't seen each other for a while. And there's all these side meetings that are happening between the moderators on these stages because we've been on stage for like three, four hours together asking question, answering questions. Now, they're going to turn into pretty lucrative deals, friendships, whatever you want to call it, and none of that's been around being physical. So, so my answer very quickly is that the personal relationship piece is fundamental, but my view is it doesn't necessarily have to be physical. I like that. I like that. And I think that's also a sign of the times to things are changing understanding that you can't just fly everywhere around the world you may not be able to meet people face to face things do still have to get done and and time will go on nick we started this podcast talking about mindset that's right there we just mentioned is a behavior change when you change the perspective your attitudes your behaviors they follow so let's wrap this up and bring this home nick to you what is your definition of a real leader yeah, I, I love I love this question, um, and I'm just going to be a little bit um, reflective in the answer, if that's okay. I I personally think that real leadership is being true to who you are, right? True to your values and your standards, and and being really really clear on what they are. And I and I appreciate that's not always easy for some people to understand that you have to do the work sometimes to get to that clarity, but it's showing up every single day. Um, living to those things. So I'll leave you with this. I, when I went away, I went to a Tony Robbins event a few years ago called Date with Destiny, where you spend six or seven days working on your your, your values and your mission. It's a really powerful event. And at the very end, you have to bring it all together. And I was in the shower, literally the morning of the last day, exhausted from this event. And I was thinking, how am I going to summarize six days and nights? Because you finish at three in the morning. Uh, and, and this, this really weird thing happened. I got this statement that popped into my head. And I say it at the end of every podcast episode. And the statement is, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Mm. And they've effectively become four pillars of how I think about life. So, be grateful for everything you've got, right? You know, because it can be taken away from you in an instant. You've got to really be present and be grateful. Um, you've got to be brave to make decisions. So, you know, you've got to, you've got to step into fear. You've got to have faith. And by faith, I don't mean necessarily religious. I mean more you have to trust yourself. You have to trust that if, you, if you're you know, showing up with the right intentions that things are going to work out. And then the showing up is about action because you, know, you can dream whatever you want to dream, but it's action that's going to get you there. So that to me summarizes what I think about leadership personally. And that's how I demonstrate real leadership in myself and hopefully therefore inspire others. Powerful. Nick, it's been a pleasure having you on the Real Leaders Podcast today, my friend. I'm so glad we got you on. I was, <laughs> I was watching you on Chester Elton's show and I was like, you know what? Gosh, I got to get this guy on. Uh, he's, he's really dropping some knowledge today. So I uh, just want to appreciate you coming on the Real Leaders Podcast today. Folks, for tuning in on Crowdcast and on LinkedIn, we thank you too. And Nick, hopefully he's going to stay around just for a couple minutes after to answer your questions. We're going to throw him into that one. Yeah, happy to do it. I just want to say like really, really great questions, really thoughtful questions so it's been an absolute honor and a privilege to be here today kevin so thank you thank you nick for nick bradley i'm kevin edwards asking you to go out there be grateful be brave have faith show up and always (laughs) folks keep it real you got it
Thanks, Nick. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with Nick Bradley. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And folks, if you didn't know by now, Real Leaders has live interviews. If you want to join an episode such as Nick's, all you got to do is go online to realleaders.com. Click on the podcast tab where you can choose of one of many upcoming interviews with star-studded guests, such as the author of Emotional Intelligence, Daniel Goleman, musician Michael Franti, co-founder of Honesty, Seth Goldman, really is Tafi the keynote speaker, Simon Mainwaring, conflict negotiator, Dr. Kath Bishop, Professor of Psychology at NYU, Emily Balsitas, the CEO of Tarani Milne Del Becco, or the founder and CEO of Classy Scott Chisholm. It's up to you. The world is in your hands. Again, folks, Real Leaders has live interviews at realleaders.com slash podcast. That's it for me. Thanks for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs>